How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. If you've never listened before, do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform it is that you're listening. And if you've got 30 seconds, leave a review. Leaving reviews is the best way to support the podcast, really outside of sharing it with other people. That's probably the best way that you can support the show, but I appreciate it a ton. And uh, it's crazy, man. The community's getting large. I see people still from all kinds of new places all over the world. I appreciate the support and I hope you guys appreciate and enjoy the content that I'm able to get to you. My guest today is someone who, when I was in high school, I used to listen to on the radio. He was a radio personality. Um, Shit, this is probably, you know, almost 20 years ago. And uh, he's from my hometown, Bradford, PA. And he has a podcast that he had me on as a guest uh, called the Manlyhood Mancast. And I really dug it. It was a lot of fun. And I asked him if he would be so gracious to come on my podcast. And we had a great conversation. So um, I really hope that you enjoy it as much as I do. We talked about really the attack on masculinity, you know, and I think we talked about it in a very honest way. And I hope you appreciate it and get something of value. And if you don't, I still love you. Give it up for my guest, Josh Hatcher. But before we enjoy the episode, a quick shout out to our sponsor of the podcast, Action Specialty Roast Coffee and Natural Supplements. Head to drinkaction.com, that's action with a K, and sign up for a subscription of your favorite specialty roast coffee some active, which is a turmeric and CBD blend, as well as some fuel, which is an MCT bomb. Great for clean energy from coconut oil. I use it as a way to fuel my workouts. If you sign up for a subscription, you'll save 20% off your monthly order. And if you use code word curious, you'll get an additional discount. Go to drinkaction.com, use code word curious, sign up for a subscription and try all the best products. If you're a coffee drinker and have not tried Action's coffee, do us a favor, give it a try. Drinkaction.com, code word curious, and enjoy the episode. I had to use my I had to use my calendly only because like my schedule's kind of crazy at the moment. So it's all no. good. No worries at all. It's interesting. I was just, um, I was reading this, I guess you can call it an article. Um, somebody shared some stats on uh, some things around toxic masculinity. So I definitely, I wanted to kind of hedge into that a little bit, but um, I guess, you know, for the betterment of everybody who's listening, um, maybe it's a good thing to kind of, you know, I, you had me graciously on your show. Uh, the Manlyhood Mancast, for anybody that hasn't checked that out, make sure you do. Um, it's something that I find really interesting because I've got a number of people in the, uh, I guess, the metaverse. Is that the the term that we're supposed to use right. now? <laughs> that um, kind of all have a similar message, right? Or that, And I, I think we've you can classify it in different ways. People say we're nerfing the world you know, we're giving out participation trophies, but I think it all leads back to the lack of, I would call lack of masculinity. And 
um, you know, your show really, I think, highlights the positive side of men and what men can do and what they're doing in the world, uh, which is we need, I think it's important that there's voices out there that are pushing back against the other voices that would make you believe that that's a bad thing to have those characteristics. So, um, you know, love your show, but, you know, maybe give a little bit of an overview of what you're trying to accomplish. And I know your background is in broadcast journalism as well as we talked about on your show. So. Yeah. Yeah. At least that's one of my backgrounds. <laughs> I've been that guy that has like surfed around and done a little bit of everything in my life. But um, so the, the vision for manlyhood actually started not for, not as a podcast, but as a, um, I guess I, it, I wasn't sure what it was going to be when it started. I just saw this situation, you know, I, I uh, was a youth pastor for a long time and, you know, volunteer, you know, not paid on staff or anything like that for a long time. And I noticed this trend happening with all these young men that were my kids, you know, that were the kids that I were kind of, was kind of mentoring. And so, you know, you fast forward their life, you know, six to 10 years after they graduate and they're, you know, getting arrested for, you know, unspeakable things and they're dying of heroin overdoses. And, um, it, it really kind of wrecked me, you know, committing suicide, things like that. It really kind of wrecked me when I realized like these kids, these men, especially need more, they needed more and we let them down because at that time, you know, we had, you know, dodgeball every Wednesday night and pizza, <laughs> you know, and an inspirational talk about Jesus, but we didn't have anything after they entered the real world. We had nothing to mentor them, to guide them, to encourage them. And I looked back and I'm like, what did I have? And I had this great community of men in my life, including my dad and others who mentored me, who guided me, who said, dude, you should not go down that path. And I just, that honestly was the heart of what started all of this is I just said, I want to help people. I want to help men be able to have that friend that they can call on the phone or send a text message to and just say, Hey, I need some help. You know, my wife is sleeping around on me. What should I do? Or, you know what, how do I get through this situation at work? So I guess that was kind of where it started. Like it, it started with that. And um, so I kind of started writing a blog and it kind of, which nobody read. <laughs> and it kind of grew from there into what it is today, which is a podcast and a YouTube channel and um, uh, an online community where guys can do just those things that I was hoping they would do. And uh, lots of offline stuff too that just happens in real life, which is kind of fun as well. So, how long have so, you been doing the whole thing? So, um, I think if I look back, 2013 is when it really was really birthed. Um, and it wasn't much at first. Like I said, it was just a blog. And I, I, it took me a while to really figure out what, what was going to resonate and what was going to connect um, and what worked and what I had the time to put in at that time. Um, and, you know, I, I, at first I, I really was hoping to have like this big team and I kind of assembled like this superhero squad of, of men that I knew that would be great mentors. Uh, some of them were my mentors and others and kind of brought them all into this big email chain and was like pitching this big grand vision for them. And they were like, uh, okay. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm like, I realized shortly into it that I'm like, this is my vision. It's not theirs. You know, they're not behind this because this is what 
I'm called to do, what I'm supposed to do. And, and so I just kind of ran with it and uh, kind of, kind of became what it is now. How much has it evolved? I mean, as I'm sitting here thinking back, like 2013 isn't that long ago, but it is when you think about the pace of change and all that's available to us now, eight years later, did, did this evolve because of that and because of new things that have become available and how media has been really pushed into social media, right? And, and a lot of these things, I don't think I viewed Facebook this. I mean, I, I definitely didn't view something like Facebook the same way that I did in 2013. I laugh at the shit that I used to post there. I was looking at old mm-hmm. Twitter, you know, tweets that I put out in like 2010 when I first got Twitter, 2011. And it was like, at Justin or whatever my name was, is getting pizza. You know what I mean? Like, right. And it's completely evolved. Um, yeah. I um, I looked back on it. And when I first started it, I definitely, I knew that, um, I knew that I wanted to write a book. I knew that I wanted to um, have uh, some kind of community, some kind of space where men could connect. I knew that I wanted to have some kind of podcast and I knew that, you know, with that background in broadcast journalism, I knew that I had the ability to do some of that, but I like for a long time, I didn't pull the trigger on it because I, you know, have been balancing, you know, business and career and everything else in the middle of all of it too, and raising kids. Um, and uh, so, you know, <laughs> you know, I think at 2013, you know, my oldest were in, um, you know, they were, I think they were going into high school at that time frame. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that sounds about right. And so, you know, there was a whole lot of things that were taking my attention. So I'm trying to balance all those things and, and not sure what it was going to be yet, you know, and then a little bit at a time, different things, you know, Facebook introduced groups and I'm like, this is perfect for what I'm doing and it fit perfectly. And honestly, that's really of all of the things that I do, like the podcast is just now becoming the thing that is really, I think, special, you know? Um, I mean, I've been doing that for quite a while too at this point, but I didn't do it right away. I don't, I'm not sure exactly. I think, I can't remember when I started that, to be honest with you. I think that might've been like 2018 that I officially started the podcast, but um, the Facebook group, once that was born, um, like really special stuff started to happen because then I started to actually connect with men and actually started to get feedback from men. So it wasn't just me writing into the, the universe and sending it out there and then never hearing anything back. Um, and so then, you know, I was able to really connect with men, find out what they needed, you know, and then be able to meet those needs and help them connect with each other. And one of my favorite things, this actually happened recently where like, um, I don't know, I think I just kind of went dark for a weekend. I was busy with other stuff and it didn't pick up my phone a whole lot. And, I picked up my phone and I opened up, you know, the manlyhood man cave and I look and there's this post from a guy and he's talking about um, some struggles with his marriage and his decisions he needs to make. And it's a really thoughtful post, you know, and he's, he's really like taking ownership for his own screw ups and kind of asking like, where do I go from here? And normally I'm the guy that tends to be like, I have to solve everybody's problems, you know? (laughs) And like, I don't think I saw that post for like 18 hours and that's fine because I looked and there was like 85 comments from guys who were 
giving him their perspective on it. And there was good advice and bad advice, but it was all well thought out advice. You know what I mean? Like it's advice. Some of it was advice that I would not recommend he take, but at least they thought about it and they gave it from a perspective of care for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like some of them were like, you should leave her and just give up and move on, you know, which is not the advice that I would have given him in that situation. But when they explained why it was at least thoughtful advice, you know, so he, he walked away from that and had some really good discussions from really that superhero team of guys that I initially had envisioned, you know, maybe it, in a weird kind of way, the guy that reaches out and says, Hey, you should leave her pack your stuff and get on the road right now. The feedback that that comment gets by the collective community is almost a lesson in and of itself to him, right? Like, Oh, mm -hmm. like that's not what everybody else in here is thinking, but right. in, unless they like kind of became a part of that and, and gave their two cents, it's, it really doesn't allow them to course correct. And quite honestly, maybe she was crazy. And so maybe he needed to pack his stuff and get going, but no, I'm just joking. But, you know, I, I think you touched on something that it goes back to the study that I was telling you about, um, which let me find what exactly it said, but it, it was saying, you know, we talk about masculinity being toxic, but if you actually look at the statistics of our society, um, Roughly 43% of boys are raised by single mothers in the United States. And 78% of teachers are female in the United States. So when you, when you look at that, close to 50% of boys have close to 100% feminine influence at home and 80% feminine influence at school. So you know, I listen, I'm really reducing it down, obviously. And I'm sure people could listen to that. And I'm sure some are, um, and are screaming right now, like that is not true. But I, I would tell you that it makes me think, um, it makes me question why so many people are adamant on, um, masculinity and the tr traits of manlyhood or manliness, I guess, you know, are, are bad things. And maybe it's because sometimes they're hijacked with bad intentions of people, but you could say that about anything. You could say that about veganism. You could say that about feminism. You could say that about anything, you know, grifters can attach themselves to it and, you know, black lives matter, blue lives matter, you, you name it, right? Vaccine, no vaccine. So I, I think at a minimum, we should be having a conversation if it's the you know, removal of masculine traits that we should be doing? Or should we actually be, you know, trying to inject masculine traits back into society and really define what those truly are so that there isn't a misrepresentation or misinterpretation by the larger public that, hey, that what that thing you're doing, that's bad. You don't want to be doing that. I mean, to me, it seems like the direction that we're going, though. Yeah, I really think toxic masculinity is a misnomer, to be honest with you. I think there's a couple things that happen there. The first one is a language game. Um, and when you talk to someone who like really buys into the concept of toxic masculinity, right? They, when you say them, no, masculinity is not toxic, then they try to backpedal and they'll say, no, we're not saying that all masculinity is toxic. We're saying that, that there is a thing called toxic masculinity and they try to define it right? They try to define the negative. And, you know, I love the concept of saying, all right, let's define 
what good masculinity is before we start trying to define the negative version of it. The issue at hand here, I really firmly believe is that the concept of toxic masculinity, the concept, I don't like the words and I'll talk about that in a minute. The concept of toxic masculinity, and we, we look at men who are so tough that they bully other people, or we look at men that are, um, you know, rapey, you know, and they take advantage of women, um, or they, um, you know, they don't allow women to advance in the workplace or have a good old boys club or whatever, and those kinds of things. Sure, those things are toxic, but they're toxic. They're not inherently masculine, and maybe they, there are some gender issues that revolve around them, but the problem is, Yes, those concepts are real and we need to address those. But when we erase the language and just get down to the behavior itself, the behavior is toxic and it doesn't matter what gender they're applied to. Those behaviors are toxic. And what's happened and what I think that the intention is, is the intention by somebody somewhere, uh, and we could spend a whole episode talking about my philosophies on that. Maybe, maybe I'll talk about it in a minute, but somebody somewhere wants to degrade the concept of masculinity in our culture. And I'm not a fan of playing the victim, but I do firmly believe that that's the intention. And, and as evidenced by the American Psychological Association that puts out a study that says, traditional masculinity is harmful for boys. Wait, I thought you said that toxic masculinity was harmful. No, now they're saying traditional masculinity is harmful. Okay, what is harmful about being traditionally a man? You're saying the tradition, you're saying, a non-traditional male is not harmful. So what does that mean? You know, like it, it's a word game and the goal of the word game has nothing to do with the first two words, toxic and traditional. It has to do with attacking the second word mm -hmm. and tearing that down. And I, you know, uh, I had Elliot Holtz recently on my podcast and he blames Marxism. And I think honestly, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Like I said, we could unpack that further. Um, he goes a little further than I might with some of it, but I honestly think that the goal there is that there are forces in our culture that don't like the idea that a man is a good thing. They don't like the idea that a powerful man being who he's created to be is a good thing. And so they are going to do whatever they can to culturally shift that narrative. You know, a, a man that has power is a bad thing. Anybody that has power is a bad thing. That's what Marxism is. It tears down the thing in power to replace it with something else. The problem is now you've replaced that thing with a new thing and now that thing has power. So then that has to be torn down too. And you just keep tearing down everything. You know, like Marxism doesn't ever have a winner. You have a winner for a week or two and then it's, then you have to tear down that power too, you know? Oh, and you see it, right? It's, you consume your young and it's, it's happening as we see, you know, it's look across a lot of big cities. You can't be progressive enough. You can't push far enough. And I, you know, not to get political, but it is, it is scary. And I, I was looking while you were saying that there was a really interesting YouTube video that I watched um, from 1984, 85 Soviet uh, KGB defector talking about the slow creep of withering American values and, and really that the focus of the, you know, Soviet Union's um, campaigns against the United States and other countries. And I'm sure the United States against other countries is to demoralize our population of what it even means to be American. And if you go and watch this video, I mean, it literally gives you goosebumps to think that this guy's talking about this in the eighties. And if you were to listen to it, then you'd probably think he was crazy, but we're living it right now. We're living this, this world where 
our youth have been educated by a lot of people who have disdain for the country that we're living in. They don't just want change. They hate America. They hate the values of America. And they're not going to change their opinion in most cases because they were taught that way. They truly firmly believe that what we stand for as a, as a, a general you know, free society is, is not good. And when I see, you know, when you say that, when you say Marxism, I mean, it's the first thing that comes to my mind because that, that erosion of the male figure in the household to me is too strongly correlated to everything else that's going on right now. And, you know, lines up exactly with what they were saying was the plan. Now, I want to make it clear, Russia doesn't erode masculinity in Russia. They do the opposite there. China doesn't do that in China. They do the opposite there. Very <laughs> you know? interesting, right? And there's actually some really interesting articles put out in the past five years, in the past year specifically. China basically said, we're going to stop um, letting these pop stars perform in our country because they're girly men. And we need better, more manly examples for our men, you know? They're like, our men are getting too soft. We need to stop letting these pop stars perform. And nobody's allowed to listen to this music anymore. Um, which, you know, I'm not saying that we, uh, that we need to do that here. I'm just saying that's what our enemies are doing. <laughs> but I, I'd hate to go down this road, but that's like, think about social media too, right? We've got these social media, which is the microphone for everybody to have an opinion. It's also the it's the, ple the pedestal that we don't want to have taken down. Everybody feels like they're one post away from being a celebrity. They're one thing away from being more popular. And this tool that has us just pushing to try to fit in, it's like the new, you know, cool test. You, you're petrified to share your real opinion and where the bulk of reality flows through social media and people are afraid to, in some cases, even lose their account. If you share something, even if, I mean, what if you don't even know how you feel about it? You're just sharing something to share it. But there's a fear that you're going to get a demerit or that other people who might have a different opinion are now going to value you less. And that was never a real, I mean, it wasn't something that was even possible when I was a kid. It's. Dude, that sounds very much like the Chinese social credit concept, you know, which is the backbone of their society, so to speak, you know, but, um, and, and honestly, I think that's damaging to us psychologically as a culture, you know, I mean, if you really look at the whole fact that, that we strive for that, I mean, look what that's doing to girls, you know, look what that's doing to boys, you know, and we are, uh, I, I can't tell you how many and, and, I, and when I say this, I know that there's probably somebody that's watching that's going to be like really upset with me for saying this. And I, I don't mean it in a hurtful way because I love everybody and I genuinely care about everybody, even people that I disagree with. But I mean, gender dysphoria up until recently was a psychological disorder, right? And now all of a sudden it's a trend. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like up until recently, it was something that, that was not common. And now every other kid and their brother is unsure of what gender they are because it's constantly in front of them. There's little boys putting on makeup and wearing dresses and it's constantly being, you know, put in their face. Well, and, and at a time when people are very insecure about a lot of things and 
they may be like not feeling right because of a number of things, but they're seeing every day that, you know, maybe you don't feel right because you're actually supposed to be a girl. Right. And, and that was, you know, now it's an option. And, and I don't mean that to downplay or degrade anybody when I say that, but I don't think that's how that works. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't think that's how that's supposed to work. And I think that as a result, what we've created is this culture that is in its attempts to be affirming of the person, we end up almost like enforcing a bad idea, <laughs> you know? And I don't know, it's like, like even just like recently, like I heard about these girls who are literally developing like ticks, like ticks from being on TikTok, like literally a psychological condition that is manifesting physically just from this constant fast scrolling with the, you know, constantly imperfect body images being put in front of them all the time. Mm -hmm. And it starts to, it starts to cause degeneration in their minds and their minds aren't working properly. Yeah. And, you know, and again, like I said, I'm not trying to condemn anybody who sees things a little differently than me. And I, like, I mean, I have friends who are trans and I love them and I, I care about them, you know, but I, I think that our culture again has dropped the ball because instead of teaching people to love and care about and respect people that are different, what we've taught them is we need to affirm things that are they just don't make sense. You know, they, they drill into us, accept the science, accept the science. There's no science for behind any of that. The only science behind any of that stuff is anecdotal, you know, and anecdotal stories and testimonies are not science. You know, you can't base a scientific position based on how you feel. That's like the pain scale. When you go to the ER and they give you the little smiley faces, right? Like, like, I'm probably Josh. Every person on this planet came out of a woman. That's science. Exactly. I, you know, and that, that exactly. doesn't take, that doesn't take a, a, a whole lot to figure out. I mean, that's just the way and it were, is. And it doesn't mean you can't identify whatever you want to and be happy. And we can all be friends and I'm cool with that, but let's not and they were, try to pretend. Right. And they were put into that woman by a man in one way or another. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that's how they got in there or half of them got in there. Half of their gene pool got in there from a man yeah. and then that made you know but you know i think the most important thing about all of that though is like you know and i have a lot of friends that are very um you know they want to draw this hard line and they just want to argue with people and they want to be like like well, this is what's wrong with society today and I, I want to make it clear this is not what's wrong with society today this is a symptom of what's wrong with society today what's wrong with society today is that we have abandoned any moral principle because we have a society who did not have anybody to teach us right from wrong. You know, I mean, how many generations of people, how many generations of boys have we had now, you know, that have grown up with no dad to spank their tail and say, don't do that. That's wrong. You know, <laughs> and, and to correct us and say, this, this is what right and wrong is, or this is who you are. You know, that's a father's job. That's your job as a dad is to tell their, your kids who they are. You're the one who affirms them. You're the one who, who lifts them up and establishes them and helps them find their identity. And 
we have erased that as a society and said that it's unimportant and that we don't have to have it. And again, I'm not bad mouthing a mom who has made a decision to protect her child and say, this child is better off without that horrible, evil, toxic man. You know, I mean, I get that, but a good father has a job to do. And a child that has a good father and a good mother is statistically going to be more successful in so many ways in their life as they grow into adulthood. And I think that we've just kind of created this uh, culture of baby daddy and baby mommy, and it's not built on a lifelong commitment between a father who loves a mother and then who raises a family together. And again, I'm not saying, you know, yes, I know that I'm a Christian. And so my worldview has the sanctity of marriage and the sanctity of life. And it has some rules to it that I believe that I see the world through these things. Some of these things I think are black and white, but these things were black and white before Christianity. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Some of these things like, yes, every culture might kind of have different versions of them or different varieties of them. But some of these things were like kind of written in our code, in our DNA. And I think we've almost just kind of like said, um, I don't, we could just do whatever we want now. I think one of the worst things that could have happened to us as a culture is to say, uh, you know, families can look like whatever. I don't know. I, and like I said, I'm not condemning someone who's doing the best they can with what they have to work with, you know, but I tell single moms all the time. They're like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, you know, my kid's acting up. I don't know what to do. I'm like, well, I'm not saying you got to go marry somebody, but you have to make sure that kid has some men in their life. Make sure that kid has a good man in his life that he can look up to. Get involved with a church, get involved with a youth program, get him involved with a sports or the choir where there's a good man that you know that you can trust that's going to speak into that kid's life because he needs that. I think that's the scary thing though, too, you know, which it's unfortunate, but I mean, you hear a lot of bad stories, you know, where, you know, mom's trying to do the right thing and get the influence of a strong man, doesn't really have anywhere to turn and is taken advantage of by somebody who's going to take advantage of that kid. And I know that in and of itself too, is the exception and not the rule, but. Well, it's closer to the rule than the exception. Unfortunately, statistically, that's what one in four girls and one in six boys are molested by the time they're 18. So it is pretty common. And, and honestly, so Here's the thing. We talk about what it means to be a good man. You know, sometimes I think we outsource too much, right? This is the school's job to raise my kids. This is the church's job to teach my kids what it means to worship God. This is the boy scouts job to teach my son how to tie knots. And this is the coach's job to teach my son how to throw a ball. And this is um, the police's job to arrest this man who molested my kid. Like, I'm sorry, maybe we need to be taking like some more hands-on approach there. (laughs) You know, like I know that that's, I'm not saying we all need to be Batman, you know, and go roam the streets at night looking for people to string up. But man, I think that we have gotten so soft as a culture that we are giving people a pass. They get a slap on the wrist and they get their name on a website for doing something they shouldn't do. Dude, like, that guy should never have teeth again because he got him knocked out. Like a good man knocks a child molester's teeth out. Right. 
Can't argue with you, Josh. I'm I, I just, I'm, you know, maybe we, it's because we grew up in the same place. I don't know. You know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, we used to have a TV show where they would, you know, they, I don't know, maybe that's the problem. Maybe they, they kind of turned it into cinematic experience for us with uh, Chris Harrison would be sitting there in the kitchen and, you know, they'd have that guy show up to the, the house thinking that he was going to be meeting an underage kid. And then Chris Harrison would be sitting at the kitchen counter. You remember that show? Is that to catch a predator? Or is that yeah, the guy to catch, yeah. to catch a predator? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. That's still too soft. Like, why didn't you punch him in the teeth? And, and, and listen, I have friends who are on the Megan's long list, people that I know who made some stupid decisions when they were 19, 20 years old, you know, uh, you know, maybe they looked at porn they shouldn't look at, you know, they started down a path and then, you know, that's one of those beasts that's never satisfied. Do you know what I mean? It always gets darker and darker and darker and darker. And the next thing you know, you're like, Oh, I mean, I don't know. I have never gone that far, but I can, I know that, you know, in my life, when I was involved in that, like, like when I was involved in not child porn, but when I was involved in porn, it was easy to be like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, this is a little bit, more dark this is a little more dark. you know what i'm saying like it just yeah. keeps it's like a spiral you know yeah, everything and, in life has that effect i think in some and, way shape or form and, and so you know if you're if you're broken and bent inside you know and you start going down that spiral you're going to get sucked in and so i know people who got sucked in and they went too far and they're paying the price for it you know what i mean but i definitely think that when it comes to actual physical child abuse you know and i'm not talking you know a parent correcting their child with a spank on the butt with a wooden spoon or something gently firmly but not beating them you know what i mean um i'm talking about like actual abuse whether that's sexual or physical or neglectful you know there needs to be some higher steeper harder harsher penalties that cost them and i think that that i think our justice system is too restorative and I'm not saying that you can't have redemption. You, you had a great interview recently with a guy who uh, found redemption, dude, and was restored. Like, I love that interview. And I believe in that. I believe in that. And I'm not taking anything away from that. Shout out, but Lester. I do, dude, Lester, that story you're was, you're the man. that story was amazing. Lester's story was amazing. So I do believe in, in second chances. And I believe that people can be redeemed and that people's lives can be turned around, especially when, when God gets involved. You know, I believe in that wholeheartedly. But I also believe that we have gotten culturally too soft with our justice, especially when it comes to kids. You know, what, I, I'm sorry, there shouldn't be a Megan's Law list because you should never be out. You know, you should never be out. And if you are out, you should never want to come out of your house. <laughs> and I know that, you know, I mean, I don't know if that's a crime for me to say that. I think it might be because it's technically illegal to um, harass people that are on the list. So I'm not harassing anybody by name on the list. I'm just, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, you know, like I'll go to the store, dude. Like, and I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but I know that I know you're a fighter, right? So, you know, I'll go to the store and I'll see some dude and he's like, acting a fool to his baby mama, you know, or, or yelling at his kids to the point where it's like, I'm concerned for them. Not just like, okay, he's just being loud and annoying. Like, okay, I'm a little concerned for them now. You know, like there's always that line and it's invisible and we never always get it right. 
And if you speak up, you might be able to, you know, deal with the situation in the moment, but then they got to go home with that guy. Yeah. But I see it and I'll be like, all right, I'm not going to just butt in, but what I'll do is I'll just take two or three steps closer and I'll stand there and I'll cross my arms and I'll just try to make eye contact. Just stand there, wait for them to notice that I'm standing there and I'm looking. I don't say a word. I, dude, I do this all the time. You know, I'm a big guy. I'm, you know, like really big. You know, I'm a large man. I'm scary. <laughs> I know I look like a really big marshmallow, but I'm, you know, nobody wants to be smothered by a marshmallow at Walmart. But, <laughs> you know, I'll just stand there and I'll look and I'll watch as usually she makes eye contact first because she's, they're always like that abused woman is always aware of who's looking when he's acting a fool, you know? But she'll make eye contact first. And as soon as he notices that she's looking, he'll turn around, he'll look. And he usually keeps going for a minute. And then he gets uncomfortable when he realizes I'm still looking. And then he shuts up. And it stops. Now, yes, he's got to, she's got to go home with him. It's got to be what it is. But you know what? On my watch, it didn't happen. Do you know what I'm saying? I didn't have to say a word. I didn't have to touch him. On my watch, it didn't happen. It's a better way to address it, right? Because the I, I'm the opposite way. You know, there have, there's been, I can think of two situations and one of them being at Walmart and it was with a woman who just completely backhanded her child. And like, as they were checking out and just my gut reaction was like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, what, why would you do that? But she, she was surprised that I spoke up and I didn't just, I mean, we kind of had words for 35, 45 seconds, you know, but then when she left, it hit me. I was like, I didn't, I didn't change her mind. I embarrassed her. And now she's probably even more pissed off. And that kid's going to get an extra ass beating when he gets home. You know, it was just, that yeah. was a tough one for me. And I think to your point, you're giving him the release valve to say, Hey, look, check yourself before you continue to make a fool. And I'm not going to embarrass you because I think that's the thing too, right? People, even shitty people like that, they have feelings and it's probably they, what is it? Hurt people, hurt people. Right. Yeah. So, well, and, and here's the bottom line. If he were to lift a finger, I'm jumping in. Do you know what I mean? You know, I'm jumping in, you know, I, I'm not going to let that happen on my watch. If it gets that far, I'm jumping in. And, and if I were in your situation and I saw that I am going to say something. And here's the other thing I'm going to do. I'm going to follow her to her car. And I'm going to take a picture of her license plate and I'm going to call a child line and I'm going to report it as child abuse. If it's, if it's that far, do you know what I mean? You know, I'm not talking like a, like a pat on the butt, you know, a backhand like that. Oh, you yeah. can tell there's a difference. Yeah. There's that line of discipline and abuse. And when I, yeah. And I, and you know what? I have done that, dude. I have called, I have, um, I have, well, and here's the other thing is, you know, from being in, ministry position. So if you are technically, and I don't know if you know this, but if you're technically in any position where the people in the community would regard you as any kind of leader, any position, and you have a perceived leadership, you are a mandated reporter. And most people aren't trained in that. But if you see what appears to be child abuse, you have a mandate to report that. And so I have called the child line and reported many cases and many of those cases end up being unfounded because they can find no evidence, but dude, like they need to get in there. Unfortunately, that's another system that drastically needs overhaul because they, they just do not have the manpower, but uh, on my watch, no, I have a responsibility. And I, I think that's, if we go all the way back, if we circle all the way back around to the concept of toxic masculinity, the answer to these problems are masculinity more masculinity is what's needed 
you know, you want to stop, um, you know, if we say that, that their definition of toxic masculinity is, I'm using air quotes for anybody that's listening and not watching, <laughs> their definition of toxic masculinity is, um, uh, you know, like, a, like an abusive male, for example. Well, I'm going to say the answer to that is a man who is willing to step up and say, no, you're not going to do that. You know, uh, that should provide enough fear or shame to motivate the guy to not make that decision. You know, good masculinity would do that. It would step in and say, no, this is not happening on my watch. And I think that's like, you know, and really across the board, that's what it is. You know, we look at bullying. Guess what? Real men would say, hey, don't pick on that kid. You know, even on the playground, you know, you get a bunch of kids and they're playing football and, you know, they're playing. What was the game we used to play when we were kids? Uh, monkey in the middle. Monkey. And I think we had we had another version of it that we're not I don't think we're allowed to say without getting censored, but smear the, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, so you're playing the game and the one kid's getting left out. So good masculinity would say, let's not leave this other kid out. Let's include him so that he's not being bullied and he's not ostracized. You know, that's what, what masculinity does is it looks out for those around them. The answer is more masculinity. You know, unfortunately, what's happened is we've allowed this moniker to come in, you know, this moniker of toxic to come in and define all masculinity. And that's not the definition. You know, it never was. Now, yes. Uh, the other issue there, too, is like this idea that violence is inherently evil. No, dude, like there are, there's a time and place for violence. It's, it's not the best solution. It's not my favorite solution. I don't ever want to use it. I haven't been in a fight since I was in high school. I think my 11th grade, I got in a fight to defend a, uh, one of my kids that was in the marching band that, you know, was with me. His little girl was, guy was picking on her and I got mad and took him outside and beat him up pretty good. He never picked on her again. I felt bad. So I probably took out some other stuff on him and I apologized to him on Monday <laughs> you know, but I haven't been in a real fight since then. Um, cause I haven't had to, but you know, there are times when the willingness to do violence is the threat that maintains peace and order. You know, that's why cops carry guns or tasers or whatever, you know, because the willingness to do violence is what keeps evil people from doing evil things because some good man is willing to stop it. Yeah, a lot of bullying is, you know, some of the best programs to prevent bullying is teaching kids how to fight. You know, it's that lack of confidence, the, um, a lot of, you know, I would say most kids who pick on other kids, they've either been picked on themselves or they don't really have an understanding of what that's even like. Um, and getting the experience, it's counterintuitive to a lot of people, but it's, you know, you don't see a lot of that. There's a, there's a respect element when you start thinking about martial arts, especially, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I can think of this time. I'll, I love telling stories, dude. That's my, that's like my favorite thing in the world is just to tell stories. You're a good I love it. I love it. So um, that's what my family did, man. Like we'd get together and like, we'd just sit around and we'd tell stories and it'd be the same old stories that we'd heard a thousand times, but they still make you laugh. You know, those stories, you know, the ones you can tell a thousand times. But uh, so I'm going to say I was probably about eighth grade and eighth grade for me was like the worst year. I was bullied so bad that year. So bad. And 
like it was kind of a turning point for me uh, before, you know, when the year was over, I kind of finally was able to spin things around. And, um, but there was this kid on the school bus who was picking on me. And um, I, I knew if I got in a fight on the school bus, I'd get kicked off the school bus. And I lived like 45 minutes away, you know, so that would be my parents having to drive me to school and that wasn't happening. So I wasn't going to get on a fight on the bus. So I'm like, like, you know, if you want to give me crap, you're going to come to my house and we're going to fight. It's like, he's like, okay, man. So I get home and I think nothing of it. Nobody ever showed up when you did that, you know? Well, who knocks on the door, but this kid. <laughs> and it's like, you want to fight? I'm like, and I grabbed a, a cast iron skillet and went running out the door. And my mom just grabs a skillet as I ran by her on the way out the door. And <laughs> she's like, you're not taking that. So we get outside and I pick up a shovel. My dad sees me picking up the shovel. And he's like, Josh, put down the shovel. So we get out in the middle of the yard and we like put up our dukes and we're just circling each other. He really doesn't want to fight. I don't really want to fight. Like if there was a kid that was evenly matched with me, it was this kid. And both of us knew it. If we got in a fight, we were, one of us was going to end up hurting or both of us was, was going to be hurting. So we're just circling each other, just ready to, ready to go, but we're not doing it. And we're circling and circling. And here comes my dad and he's like, Hey, if you pansies aren't going to fight, put these on. And he throws a couple pairs of boxing gloves at us. We're like, okay. So we put on the boxing gloves and we started to fight and we hit each other about three punches in. We just started laughing and we became good buddies and we were good friends all the way through the rest of high school, you know, never, never a one problem after that. <laughs> so that's, awesome. that's so cool. You, you mentioned your, your father and, and that you had a lot of like male influence. Is there anybody, and I know Ryan Mickler is somebody that you pay attention to. Um, but even all the way back to 2013, was there anybody that was doing things similar that you wanted to, I hate to, I hate to use the word emulate, right. But that you, that you saw, Hey, this is something that I can do as well. And that I have something to contribute in this space. Or were you just kind of to your point, answering what you saw as a, a little bit of a vacuum inside of our community. So, yeah, when I started it, I, there really wasn't a manosphere yet. Um, the art of manliness, I think, was out. And I really liked what Brett McKay and the guys were doing there. But I knew that it really wasn't the same thing that I wanted to do. He was more like, le he was less like uh, introspective and more like how-to guide kind of stuff at that point. Now, I think he's kind of gotten a little bit of introspection in there as he's done it. But, you know, he would be like, how to cut down a tree with an ax, you know? And I'm like, you know, how to, you know, achieve your goals in 10 easy steps. You know what I mean? You know, it was just like a different perspective. I talked a lot about, you know, uh, relationships and mindsets and, and, and things like that. Like I knew that, that, you know, the guys that I wanted to reach needed something deeper than just that kind of surface stuff. And, and I also wanted to still do some of the surface stuff for fun. And I still do some of that. Cause it's fun, you know, I mean, like, like, so that was there, but it really wasn't where my heart was. Um, there was, um, I'm trying to think like, there really wasn't like a, a whole lot out there. I started, I think a year, a couple years before, um, Ryan Mickler really started and then Mickler comes out and I'm like, dude, that's what I'm trying to do. So I've learned a lot from Ryan and what he's doing. Um, another guy that was doing something similar along that time frame, uh, Stephen Mansfield, um, wrote a book called Mansfield's book of manly men. He has the great man, 
podcast, which is great. Um, and uh, I also like, I'm a big fan of like John Maxwell and like leadership stuff. Uh, there was a Jordan book. Peterson. Um, so I've, I found Jordan Peterson later. Um, and I like Jordan Peterson, but it's, uh, it is like his book is way too long for me to read. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, I think I started reading it and I made it like, no dude, like I, like I'm, I'm too ADHD for that. Like <laughs> you got it. Like, I, like I actually, like, I, like I love Joe Rogan's podcast, but I prefer to watch like the highlight clips because a three hour podcast is painful to me, dude. Like, dude, I'm like three hours, three hours. Like I can't, I can't listen that long. I mean, I can talk that long, but I can't listen that long, you know? <laughs> so, um, so like Jordan Peterson, like the, the philosophies that he stands for and what he like, I love it. So um, excellent stuff, but it, it really wasn't in, an influence on what I was working on. Sure. Um, but a lot of what I was doing, especially then, and even still now, like, so, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm a Christian, you know, I have a background in ministry. One of the things that's important to me in that regard is knowing and understanding that like our culture has moved past that, right? Like our culture is a post-Christian culture. And so I, I think our culture has thrown out a lot of babies with bath. We throw out baby Jesus with the bathwater, you know, and we're like, okay, we don't need this now. And so like, for me, it's always been kind of like important to say, all right, there's a lot of really good wisdom and truth in the teachings of the Bible. And so like, like I pull a lot of that into the work that I do and I try not to do it in a way that is, you know, judgmental or, you know, all of the, the typical tropes that people like to throw out there whenever they think of a Christian, because they always like to, you know, everybody always has that, the, the church lady from NSL or SNL in their mind, you know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah, we don't need any more of that. So so a lot of my influence was actually kind of from that world. And, um, you know, and I, I try to, but I, I, I don't want to communicate it like that world, if that makes any sense at all. You know, I, 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 I want it. I think that, and I say this a lot of times in, in the man cave and sometimes in my podcast too, but you know, yes, is manlyhood a Christian website? No, I'm a Christian and I'm going to talk about it and I'm never going to, shut somebody down if they want to talk about it from that perspective but i also don't want to shut somebody out who sees the world differently you know and you know my wife is actually a pastor at our church and so like like she was asking me about my podcast and she doesn't listen you know she listens to podcasts all day long I'm like do you ever listen to mine and she's like no like why don't you listen to this episode or this one and she goes down and she goes josh this one's marked explicit and i'm like <laughs> were you swearing I don't think I was, I might've been, but it doesn't matter. The guest was swearing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> cause I'm, cause I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to censor somebody else just because they use words that, you know, aren't Sunday school friendly. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and so for, honestly, for me, like a lot of my influences are coming from that world. So another thing that was happening at that time frame, like there was a big men's movement uh, in the Christian community called promise keepers. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but like they would go, like from city to city and they would bring like this big traveling show and they would have like, you know, like a all man worship band and they would play music and then they'd get a couple preachers up and it would talk about men's issues from a Christian perspective. And there'd be like 40,000 men in this arena, you know, and all singing amazing grace and crying. And it was awesome, you know? Um, 
but then they um they end up shutting down i don't remember if it was a matter of i think like somewhere in that time frame like i think about 2007 the economy hits bust it was shortly after that where i think they're like we can't afford to do this this way anymore because people just couldn't afford to spend you know 200 bucks to go out to a big thing like that anymore um but so that was another place where i saw that void you know where there was something for men and now there's not so you know i guess that was probably part of what kind of fueled and influenced a little bit but like i said it was also one of those things where like if you weren't in that sphere you know if you were like i'm like like a buddhist man i don't relate to that like they would have welcomed you in but it would have been so foreign you know and i don't want to do that you know i i uh i i do i'm not saying that i'm like um like i'm not the kind of guy that's like oh all roads lead to heaven and it's all true like no i mean like i'm a christian and the christian teaching i think is true and other things are false you know but like i also think we can be friends and we can talk about things and see things differently and i think a lot of christians struggle to do that and i think because of that most of the world doesn't get it or know how to connect with us and so that is one of those things that kind of drives a little bit of what i do in that like i want to do it in a way that um you know what i'm doing is about how to be a better man and some of that is is influenced by my own christian faith a lot of it is influenced by the lessons that my father taught me. A lot of it is influenced by the lessons that the other men in my life and in my community have, have shown me and taught me. And, um, and a lot of that is influenced by the men who I'm, I've kind of attracted that have questions and have tr trouble and struggles. And I'm like, okay, let's answer this question today. You know, I think, I think a lot of people, I, I struggle. I dude, I don't know if you've ever been in this boat, but I struggle sometimes wanting to write things or create things for seo you know i'm like man if i do this and i make it in a, what if i can catch google's attention so that google will notice what i'm doing and i i want to do that so bad sometimes dude because i'm like you know like like i've been working hard on this and it'd be awesome if you know if i had like you know a hundred thousand listeners every day and they all you know spent a whole lot of money on manlyhood t-shirts you know <laughs> or if i had a best-selling book that'd be awesome but um, I also noticed that when I did that, I actually didn't get any results from Google. And then the audience that I had wasn't paying attention to it either. So I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to worry about that so much. You know, I'm not going to worry about five tips to becoming a better man as much as telling a story and engaging people's hearts and minds where they're at, answering problems and concerns that they have. And I mean, sure, I'll use a little bit of marketing with it and a little bit of SEO with it, but that's not the point, you know? Yeah. I think that's why things like this resonate with people, right? Because when you can make a genuine connection, people come back for more. There's, there's thousands and thousands of people that just do the transactional, you know, here's a motivational meme and talk about, you know, the, the five traits of a millionaire. I mean, I, you see it everywhere. It's just, it's, it's kind of like being in Vegas with those guys with the little cards, you know what I mean? I don't know if you've ever been out on the strip where they've got like all the, the girls on the, on the little cards, but I mean, it's, it's kind of what it is at this point, you know, but yeah, yeah. we don't, I don't want to be Buzzfeed, you know, yeah. I mean, nobody wants to be Buzzfeed, not even Buzzfeed wants to be Buzzfeed. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd be curious, you know, being that you are a, a man of faith, um, you know, I, 
I've got an interesting perspective on religion and, you know, without getting too far into the weeds, you know, I, I grew up in Bradford. It's a very Roman Catholic town in a lot of senses. I grew up with that very traditional Catholic upbringing. I wouldn't say we were like fanatical religious people, but we weren't just like go to church on Christmas. Like we were, Mm -hmm. you know, every Sunday we were in mass as a family Sunday school, um, you know, we were, I was an altar boy as a child for, for many years. And I've always, I mean, shit, look at the, the podcast, the curious Jones, right. I've always just had this curious mentality and was always the kid just asking why, what's this mean? Why is this the way that it is? And I got to an age where I would question a lot of things about the Catholic church. And the answers that I started to get back were combative um, they were dismissive and other kids who had the same types of questions. I like, I can distinctly remember their curiosity being snuffed out like a cheap cigar, you know, like don't ask about that anymore. And then they stopped caring about things. And I can't say for certain, but I wonder what's the effect that that's had in other areas of their life and questioning things. But, you know, as technology got more and more and Google became a thing. And for, it's like a lot of things that you'd never even think to even consider today, you were able to consider 20 years ago, you know, I'm 35, I'll be 35 here at the end of the year. Um, you know, call it 30 years ago, 25 years ago. And now so much of what was a mystery is almost kind of like proven that it's, probably not real in some certain things that I think the real value of what a lot of religion brought has actually been lost in the fact that some of the folklore, which was maybe the marketing fluff is been or has been exposed due to the times. And what I'm saying by that is like, there's just certain things, you know, I'll just, I'll bring one up, right. For, for me and regardless, right. Turning, turning uh, water into wine, or uh, wine, uh, wine into the blood of Christ, right? To me, that's symbolic. I, I personally look at that. I don't believe that there's any man that got another guy that puts his hand on his head and makes him now have powers to turn wine into blood. I mean, that's, that's fucking silly to me. Sorry, excuse my French, but that's silly. But it's, yeah. it's, to me, there is an importance to the tradition and what that signifies and the underlying principles that came along. There's a lot of great things that I learned by having faith in my life. Uh, you know, the commitment of getting up on a Sunday after you were at a friend's house on Saturday to be at nine o'clock mass. There was the treat others the way you'd want to be treated. You know, there was a, a respect level that came with that. You know, there was a, a guiding principle for me as a child where a lot of, I, I steered away from a lot of bad things because of my fear of the potential outcome. Now, I think that had a detriment as I got older because I had a lot of guilt, a lot of like Catholic guilt built up inside of me, but there, there was good to that, right? There was, there was a lot of good to the framework, but it's hidden underneath this marketing. I, I, I'll, I, I don't know what else to call it. It's like a marketing scheme that, that worked back in the 1400s. It worked, you know, you were able to, to do that. But I mean, if you even do a little bit of digging, you, you know, that like confession really was a way for 
the priests to get an understanding of what was going on in the community, which maybe in the, at the time that wasn't a bad way of, of figuring out how you couldn't help because they would tailor their message to the congregation based on what they were hearing throughout the month or the week from the people that were coming to confession. You know, so if they heard three or four guys that were talking about, you know, having affairs on their wives, they would talk about, you know, those, those things. And, you know, the, com the community would think, oh, he's, he's, you know, Jesus is talking to us or God's talking to us. I don't think that it's, it should be a bad thing if it's a human element that's ultimately driving that. And maybe some people need it to be a higher power, but it's, it's a shame to me that how you view that sometimes can dictate the value that you can get from the specific thing, as well as the community of people that surround it. Yeah, I think, and I, I'm not a Catholic basher, um, cause I have a lot of dear friends who are Catholic and, uh, some of them I would actually consider Christian. And I know that's almost offensive and I don't mean it to be, um, <laughs> because I know a lot of them who are Catholic, but don't actually get it or connect with it. It's just the tradition. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but, um, I have a lot of issues with the Catholic church itself and from my own perspective of looking at it. And like, as you describe those things, I'm like, yeah, like, dude, like none of those things that you describe are like actually even technically biblical, <laughs> you know, they're teachings of the church. So like an evangelical perspective, um, which is going to be like, you know, evangelical is like a offshoot of, of Protestant Protestantism, you know, and that's, so like, I'm, considered free Methodist, which is going to be kind of smack dab in the middle of like that evangelical movement. Um, you know, you look at John Wesley, you know, it's like all the Methodists and most of the Baptists, you know, like all, there's a whole lot of, you know, uh, theological traditions that are kind of would kind of consider themselves in that vein. So, so that particular crew is going to see uh, the world a little bit differently than a Catholic is going to see it. And so we would say that, scripture itself is what the authority is on matters of what is right and wrong and what truth is like scripture is the ultimate authority of that not the not the hierarchical structures of the church now the catholic tradition is going to teach that you know that the church the scripture is the prime source right the scripture comes first and then right underneath that is the church's teaching in terms of uh, truth. And so the problem with that is that you've got the scripture, which, which we would believe not, you know, whether you do or not, I'm cool, but we would believe that both of us would believe that the scripture is God given. So we would believe that the scripture is the word of God and that it carries authority. Then the issue then is when you then elevate the teachings of man over the teachings of the word itself, right? So the, the Catholic church has some things where they have elevated some teachings of man and to explain things from the teachings of scripture that might not be clear, you know, and because there are things, you know, like th that might not be clear or understandable. So then they'll say, well, we're not quite, sh you know, the Bible isn't clear on this. So we'll clarify it for you. And we're the church and you can't question that <laughs> Yeah, that's the <laughs> because we've given ourselves the authority. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I think that that is a, any organization, I don't care what it is, any organization that you cannot question is dangerous. So 
and and you'll see that in religious and non-religious you organizations. Hear that, Brandon? You hear that, Brandon? <laughs> Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> Every, any organization that you cannot question is dangerous. Um, I think that we honestly, you know, and and so, um, you know, I have I have some some friends. He's actually been on my podcast, or he's coming up on my podcast. I had him on very briefly. Who's a who's a Catholic? Who he and his wife uh, have some amazing things that they're working on and working with the Catholic Church on. And he's um, he is an amazing guy, and he asks a lot of hard questions and he and his kind of the people in his circle actually are there's even some questions in ways that I think would make some of the traditionalists very uncomfortable do you know what I mean mm. um which I think is a good thing I think that you know if if there's an establishment it should be questioned you know and I'm not just talking religion here I mean I think anything like so yeah I I I, I think that I can understand where if you're that curious kid who's got questions. So if it's real, it should hold up to those questions. <laughs> you know, the problem is, and, and I would just challenge you as you're exploring, you know, and figuring out where you fit or less, or if you're willing to explore and figure out where you fit in the universe uh, or really anybody, if you've asked questions and been stonewalled by a person or an organization, and like, don't ask these questions, keep asking the questions because maybe there's an answer. Unfortunately, though, you may find an answer you don't like, or I might say fortunately, you might find an answer that you don't like, but that is true. And, you know, I, I remember if I go all the way back to my youth pastor days, I, I, I grew up and I just never questioned it. I had no questions at all. Um, just because like, I saw the reality of it, you know, like you talked about like the priest, um, you know, who would go to, he'd go to confession and he would find out the details and he would stand up on Sunday and kind of pretend like Jesus revealed something to him. Like, like I would go to my old fashioned Baptist church and we'd sit there and nobody had confessed anything because we didn't do that. <laughs> and there were things in the preacher's message that were lining up in ways that were too coincidental to be coincidence. You know, we'd be like, Whoa, that's, that's God, you know, and whether it was or not, I don't know. I think it was okay. I do know. I know it was, I don't care if it sounds crazy. I know it was, but as a kid, you know, it was, it was a big deal, you know, like he'd get up there and he'd read this, this scripture. And I'm like, we just read that in Sunday school class. And he had no idea that we were reading that, you know, all these little things would line up. And, uh, and as I've grown up in my life, I've seen so many things in my life, dude, that I have, I've never had it. Like for me to question, it would be like, like for me to question my own name, like, dude, my, my daughter had hearing loss in her ear where she had nerves in her ear that uh, or nerves that connect to her brain that stopped working. And the doctor said, she's going to have to wear a hearing aid for the rest of her life. She is deaf in that ear to this degree and it won't get better. Like surgery can't correct this. We can't reconnect those nerves. And we prayed for her. We asked God to heal her and we just trusted that he would. And she woke up one morning and her head felt like pins and needles and she snapped and she could hear in that ear. And she went back to get tested and her hearing was better than it ever was in both ears, you know, and I've seen that story replayed time and time and time and time again. So for me, it's like, I can't question it. Like I have no questions whatsoever anymore, but I have had many people ask me questions that I didn't know the answers to. And um, one thing that Christians do a bad job of is to say, I don't know. Well, let's find out, <laughs> you know? Like that's something, that problem. dude, dude, that's across the board, dude. Like, 
we should all be like that. Like, I'm not sure. Instead of making up something, dude, like, let's find out, you know? And I remember being a youth pastor and these kids would be like, well, why is this wrong? Um, I don't know. Let's find out. And we would research and find the answers together, you know? And I'd look it up and I'd come back. And I'd be like, oh yeah, here's this. Or like, how come, you know, these people believe this and these people believe this and we're supposed to believe this. Like, I don't know. Let's find out. And I'd come back the next week and I'd, I'd read a book and, you know, I'd, I'd read a book on Islam or I'd read a book on Satanism or I'd read a book on whatever. And I'd come back and be like, okay, this is what they actually believe. Here's what the Bible teaches. And this is what the difference is, you know? And I did all, you know, I learned a lot that way instead of being like, oh, you can't read this book. You can't read the Quran. Yeah, I did. I read the Quran and you know what? There was some good stuff in it. And there was some bad stuff in it. <laughs> you know, there was stuff in it I liked and stuff I didn't like. You know, and it doesn't, it's not entirely 100% compatible with what I believe, but there were some good things we can learn from it. There you go. You know, and I think most people are just like, ah, get away from me, instead of actually taking the time to look and like, and question. And dude, being curious, dude, I think that's what drew me to what you're doing is I love your motto, dude, stay curious. Like, that is like, it's good to ask questions, man. It's good to dig and research and find out. And, and, to say, I don't know, or even sometimes you even do the research and you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have no idea what's going on, Josh. I'm, I'm so lost at this point. I'm like, I look around, I have opinions, they change, they're fluid. And, and I think that's the number one thing that I'm learning. Um, it's the, a, like on the front end, it's the perspective gained by having conversations. I've, I've changed my views on a lot of things, having conversation with you, you know, you know, you talked about Lester. I've mentioned this a couple of times recently. I was a lot harder on people in my past who had screwed up. I, I allowed for people to redeem themselves, but I had a very high bar once you screwed up and I didn't feel, I, I even feel like now in hindsight, I looked at them with kind of a scarlet letter in a way, mm. or, you know, they were, they were marked as you know, maybe the, the damaged goods are returned and I would still associate with them, but they, they were, you know, they were checked off the side that they had done something like that. And, um, you know, it's, it's changed my perspective, but I think it's given me the understanding too, that you can't be so firm in your beliefs that you dig your heels in so far that you can't course correct because I course correct daily when I hear and get access to new information. You know, I'm like, well, shit, I've been making a complete ass of myself because that was the wrong decision. I, I shouldn't have made it. And you know what? I was given the wrong data. I was looking <laughs> at the wrong information and there's nothing wrong with that. And that to me is beautiful. You see people now, they get canceled. People are so afraid to be canceled. It's, they're, they're afraid to be canceled because they've dug themselves so far into one direction that once it's proven to be incorrect, there's no redeeming yourself. You've made a complete fool of yourself. You know, I, I'm, I've learned and I look, I listen back on some conversations. There's a hand, I, there's like two or three that I'm like, Oh, I, it's like torture, but I'll force myself to go back and listen to it sometimes and be like, I'm ashamed at myself for being so narrow-minded and digging myself in because now it's so hard to dig myself out of that. Well, and I think that it comes down to, okay, so you, you're allowed to be close-minded on something if you know, if on the things that you know are true, right? 
Like, you know, your daughter, you have a daughter, right? I have two sons. Two sons. Yeah, that's right. I got you mixed up with somebody else. You have two sons. You know your son's names, you know? And if somebody comes and tells you that your son's name is Josh, you can be like, that's wrong. Now, I name every baby that's going to be born baby Josh. That's what I do because nobody will name their son baby Josh. So I just claim it until some other name comes along. So, <laughs> but, you know, your sons, you know their name. And if somebody comes along and tries to give them a different name, they can't do that. You're allowed to stand firm in that. Do you know what I mean? Like there are things that are true. And when you know they're true, you can dig your heels in. And then, like you said, if there's data that comes along and changes your mind, okay, then you change your mind. But if it's something you know is true, you can't change that. Do you know what I mean? It's not like some report is going to come out and find out that, boy, what's your son's name? What's one of your sons? Uh, Hendrix. So it's not like somebody's going to come along and say, boys named Hendrix are actually named Charles. And now you must change. No, it doesn't matter if some report comes out. If somebody <laughs> comes out with that report, it doesn't change it's it. Coming, you know it's coming, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you're, it, you're so right, though. I get it. You know, and but so there are some things you're allowed to be like, dude. My mind is closed on that. My mind's made up. But I think what has to happen is we also have to be open-hearted. Because what happens if your boy comes to you and he's like, Dad, I appreciate that you named me Hendrix, but I listened to his music, and like, Foxy is pretty cool. But like, have you listened to the whole album? It's pretty trash, dude. Do you think I could change my name to Charles? If your heart is open, <laughs> you'll hear your son's cries and you'll, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. He, he's going to have to sell me a little harder on that one, but you're, no, it's, it is. It's about having an open heart an open mind. And I, yeah, it's, it's a great uh, conversations with other people are a great perspective enhancer. They help you get there really quick. It's, uh, you do all your own editing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know what I'm talking about. It's listening to yourself. Some people can't stand to hear themselves on like a voicemail. I was one of them. I was like, that's really? what I sound like. I didn't realize that was what my voice sounded like. And now it's now you're used a to weekly it. occurrence. Yeah. So that was, so I actually started my first job in radio. I was 14 years old. And I was running the Pittsburgh Pirates games at WFRM radio in Countersport. And I would go and work the board. And back then you had uh, a cartridge, which was basically like a, it was like an eight track tape and you could record so many commercials on it. It had a tone in between each commercial that would stop the tape. Um, so I would have to sit there on the cart machine and I would wait for them to toss it to the local stations for programming. And I would play the commercials and I'd write down a log, which commercials I played. And then I would go back to the game. And um, I started at 14 years old and I would do that all the time, but I would also get to record commercials because I had a good voice even at 14 and, you know, they didn't have hardly anybody that worked there. So she'd leave us some scripts for me and showed me how to use the equipment. And so like, dude, like I've been listening to my voice for so long, like I actually do like the sound of my voice. And um, that is a blessing and a curse. <laughs> because sometimes i'll just talk and i should just shut up you know <laughs> it takes it to a whole new meeting when someone says you just love to hear the sound of your own voice yeah yeah I'm, I'm learning dude like i don't know if there's one thing that as i'm getting older i'm learning it's like dude talk less and listen more like i'm always uh, like i've always got an answer for everything and sometimes i should just shut up and so i'm learning how to listen i'm i i 
didn't realize how bad I was at that until just recently, I think. So that's something I'm working on. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize you were as old as you are. Not that you're, you're old, but I thought you were closer to my age. And then I saw that you had grandkids. I was like, shit, I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah. I'm 43. Um, I was born 78. So I'm a Gen Xer and you're a stinking millennial. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and we, uh, we actually had our twins, a boy and a girl, Isaiah and Michaela, they were born on our one year wedding anniversary, which was the 4th of July. And so that would have been, we were married 4th of July, 98 and 4th of July, 99, we had twins. And we kind of, kind of knew like early on, we're like, you know, we want to have our kids and have them young so that we're young enough to enjoy our grandkids. So, and then, you know, my daughter gave me a, uh, our first grandbaby just recently. So Dorothy, she's beautiful. And I, I'm excited about that. So congratulations. There'll be many more. I'm sure. They seem to be popping out at every corner in my family. So it's, uh, it's always good. Well, hey, man, I do appreciate it a ton. I want you to, you know, again, where everybody can find the Facebook group, the podcast itself on social media, you, I know you're doing a lot of different things. Um, what's, what is the best way for, you know, somebody listening to, to go and check out what you're doing? Yeah. So if you go to manlyhood.com, you can find, uh, links to everything there, uh, it'd be the easiest way. Um, but if you're looking for the Facebook group, if you just hop on Facebook and you type in manlyhood man cave, uh, it'll show up, but the name of the podcast, if you would rather look it up on your, um, you know, if you like listen on Spotify or iTunes or whatever, uh, if you say, you know, if you type in manlyhood man cast. Um, so that's M-A-N-L-I hood. So some people type in with a Y and that doesn't come up. So, but it's manlyhood man cast is the name of the podcast and we're on YouTube as well. And um, yeah, it's kind of growing. We've had some pretty cool guests and, and it's been kind of a neat experience. So, yeah, I saw it's maybe, I don't know if this one blew up for you, but the judge Joe Brown episode, yeah, that was, that was like a flashback for me, man. I remember skipping school <laughs> and watching judge Joe Brown, like, that he seemed like a really cool guy. Yeah, that was a, that was probably one of my favorite interviews of the year. Him and then the guy from Tag Team, the guy that's saying "Whoop!" There it is. That was yeah. it, it was just like random random episodes that I didn't start the season thinking I was going to get or knowing I was going to get, and they just kind of fell into my lap. And I'm like, these were fun, <laughs> and they ended up being two of my my biggest most popular episodes. So that's awesome. But, yeah, it's definitely, definitely been a lot of fun. Um, and like you said, like I learn a lot from these conversations and uh, I'm challenged and um, I'll be listening and I'll, I'll be editing and kind of pulling out things later. And I'm like, man, that, how did, how did uh, that guest know that I needed to hear this today at this moment while I'm working on this, you know, and it's, it's pretty cool the way serendipity or the Holy spirit or whatever. There's something. What there's there's yeah. definitely this, this experience is bad as we all want to cry and complain about it right now. It is a special experience and something very special is giving us this opportunity to enjoy it. So I'm all for it. And I think treating our neighbors the way we would like to be treated is probably the best way about going about it. So. Yep. Even the ones we disagree with or even the ones we don't like. <laughs> True to that. Josh, thank you so much, man. I do appreciate it a ton and uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Yeah, man. Yeah. It'd be awesome. We'll have you back on my show or however we want to do it. It'd be a lot of fun to talk again. Next time you're coming up in Bradford, let's get together. We'll hang out, have pizza or something. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll let you know for sure. I'll be up. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. Thanks, man.